0: Thank you for visiting theopenword.org where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaeffer.
1: We are in Romans chapter 1. And again, um, there's a pool going as to how long it will take us to get through this book. John MacArthur had 150 Messages on this, I think.
0: On chapter one.
1: No, I'm just the <laughs> Book of Romans. Yeah, um, James. I was listening to James Montgomery Boyce the other day, which is a great preacher from old, <clears throat> and he said he spent. He was doing through the Book of Genesis, I guess, and he spent like ten weeks on verse one. Before he even got to verse two. So, but no, there's just some. There's just so many good. There's such so, such good content in Romans. You really don't want to rush it through because it's just, I mean, really, if you want to understand, it's almost like if you get through the book of Romans, you've got a theology of the Christian faith. I mean, there's no theological topic that's not really discussed in Romans, all right? And so that's why it's such a great book. But in the first part here, Paul is just talking here and greeting the church. And basically he said, you know, I've been wanting to come and see you guys for a long time. And the reason I want to come and see you guys is I want to have some fruit among you, all right? And it, when you stop and think about that, what should be your motivation for Christian ministry, for ministering to other people? What should be your motivation? What should motivate you? Love, Love for them because you want to do what? Honor God. honor God and spread the, min, spread the gospel and minister to them, right? You want to minister to them. And that's one of the interesting things about spiritual gifts that we'll get to in Romans 12 in a couple years maybe. Spiritual gifts are given to minister to other people. They're not given for your own benefit. Really, they aren't. Um, There's not a single spiritual gift that edifies yourself. They're there to edify other people. They're there to build other people up. They're there to encourage other people. And Paul says, I've been wanting to come to you not for some ego trip or not because I want you to give me something or not because I want to be, you know, Mr. Big Shot Apostle. I want to minister to you because when I minister to you, in turn, you minister back to me. It's a two-way street. All right? God's just gifted us differently, and that's one of the things about spiritual gifts that we'll talk about in the future is that we all might have spiritual gifts that are different, But they're all meant to encourage and help one another. There's no one gift that's really technically more critical than another in the body of Christ.
0: That's true. And all of that, the spiritual gift, is to help others, but it also edifies you.
1: When you help others. Yeah. You get some blowback onto you, see. Um, You know, when I minister to you in teaching, I gain something from that as well. It's not just one-way street, it's, right. I get it back. I get encouraged. You now when, when I teach a class and I see somebody who I've taught many years ago become a missionary or a pastor or something like that, that encourages me a little bit. That maybe I had a little bit of an influence on them somehow, some good influence. Because I think one of the things to understand, we've talked about this, you're, every one of us influences everybody around us. And you're gonna influence them positively or negatively. Every interaction you have with somebody is a positive or a negative interaction, all right? It may be sort of neutral, but by and large, you're influencing plus or minus. And so what kind of influence do you want to be? Paul says, I wanted to come to you guys. It's not that I, I just haven't had an opportunity to be there. And this is in AD 56 when he wrote this. He was in Corinth. And he spent 18 months in Corinth ministering there. And he just said, I, I haven't had an opportunity to come. Because your faith is made known throughout the entire world. Everybody talks about the church at Rome. Everybody who runs in that circle hears of your faith. And I thought about that. You know, if, if, if you would ask somebody, tell me about Open Door, what would they say? You ask the average person out in the community, tell me about Church of the Open Door, what would they probably, you ever think about what they <coughs> might say about our church? Yeah. Or, you
2: know, whether we serve them
1: on serve the city day or, you know, it just depends on... It, it does, but in what ways can you enhance your image? <clears throat> not to market, you know, we're not marketing, but how can we enhance our image to the world? Be a good representative of Christ. Now, of course, there's always going to be some of the, oh, yeah, that's that church that, you know, they, they preach about sin. We don't like that. Well, that's, that's a different issue, right? I was talking to somebody the other day and I said, you know, I want people to reject Christ because they know who Christ is, not because I'm obnoxious. And yeah, I know a lot of Christians are just plain obnoxious. And people reject Christ not because they have any idea who Christ is, but because they don't like the person. We've got to be careful with that. Paul, Paul says, I, your faith... It's known, and I've wanted to come to you, and and I'm going to, by the will of God, I'm going to come because I want to strengthen you. I want to encourage you. I want to build you up. Because when I can build you up, then I can get some blowback on me, and I can be encouraged. One of the hard things in ministry is to minister to people for years and years and years, and nothing happens. That's tough, you know. it. It's tough on a person. Jonathan Edwards was probably one of the greatest theological minds America ever produced. And I think he preached for 20 years in a church and finally after 20 years they threw him out because he actually believed that only believers should take communion. Can you imagine being thrown out of your church over that? After ministering for 20 years? I'm pretty sure it was communion. He, he just, he just. You know, I keep continually learning that
3: um, we're so, I think it's part of society and everything. You want to be able to do things yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, I have to continually be reminded that if I don't accept help from somebody, I'm robbing them of that wonderful pleasure and joy that I feel when
1: I help somebody else. Yeah. I like that point you make there because um, I have a friend named Gary who's bigger than me and stronger than me. And uh, a lot of times when we would go out and eat and all that, he'd, he'd grab the check from me. And, and I said, let me pay. He said, don't steal my joy. <laughs> I said, well, since you're bigger than me and can hurt me really bad, I won't steal your joy. You All right. But um, that, was his, that was him, you know, it's, it's sort of like, Annette, you're right, one of the hard things, for, it's hard for me, it's hard for me to accept favors from people, it's really, really hard for me to do that, it's hard for me to call somebody up on the phone and say, hey, can you help me out, that is like really hard to do, okay, I, I just, I don't like it, I don't like doing it. This gift of humility and asking, because you're giving people an opportunity to minister to you. And and that's the thing. What did Christ say? You you won't give somebody a cup of cold water in my name without getting a reward from me. You know, and it's hard for me personally to accept help from other people because I want to be the one doing it. I am. So, so it's a balance. You don't want to be a mooch. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you don't want to be a mooch and take advantage of it, but on the other hand, you want to give people the opportunity and the joy of doing you something. a good turn on in now and then. You know. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, when Donna passed away, one of my great Conundrums was what to do with Stetson. And Pam used to co- take care of him all the week. And I gave her a little bit of money. I probably didn't give her nearly enough as I should have. But she loved taking care of the little mutt for me while I worked. I mean, that bridged my ability to go to work and, and to do things, you know. And I really appreciate that, and it gave Pam. Me the joy of having a dog. Having a dog. And, a yeah. A rotten one, but a dog now, you know. But, um, but, but that's the way spiritual gifts work is that we minister to one another and we we need to allow other people to minister to us at times. All right? It's okay for people to minister to you. And it's okay to say, hey, I have a need. Can you help me? And I, I hear when you get older, you need more help. I'm getting to that point, you know. Um, but it, it, it Paul said, I wanted to come and I wanted to I want to minister to you. I want to strengthen you. I want to encourage you in the faith. I want, I want to impart to you some spiritual gift. The idea there is not I'm going to give you a spiritual gift. He said, I want to use my spiritual gift to build you up, to encourage you. And you can encourage me. You know? Just
2: letting God impact
1: your yeah. life. Yeah, so the question is, are you allowing God to impact others through your life? Because, again, you're going to influence them, good or bad. It's just that you need to think about these things. You know, so often, sometimes I think, I'm going to say something, and I say, nope, shut up. Watch what you say, because that might be, that's a negative impact on somebody. No, don't send that post. Don't hit the send key. Just back away from your computer. You know, don't do that. That's not worth it. Encourage people, I want to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And I like that because what Paul is saying is that we all have faith. I don't have a bigger chunk of faith than you have because I happen to be an apostle with the big A. And by the way, you can tell some of these guys out there who think that you know they are the great god's gift to christianity you understand none of us are god's gift to christianity you realize that god's kingdom program is not going to be derailed if you disappear and yet you see some of these birds on tv that you know if they if something happens to their ministry it's all over for the kingdom of god no it's not it's manipulation God's kingdom is going not go on. What did Christ say? I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. God does not need your help in building the church, because here's the problem: if we try to help God build the church, what kind of church do we wind up with? Yeah. Um, look in the Bible. How many times have people tried to help God out in the Bible, and how, how did that turn out? The whole Middle East yeah, conquest. Abraham says, "We'll help God out with this whole sun deal," and now look what we got. God does not need our help. He does not need our assistance. If we disappear, God's kingdom program will go. But Paul's saying, I I want to encourage you and mutually be encouraged by our faith. One of the things I enjoy doing is being around other Christians and just being encouraged by their faith. I like being around Christians, you know that? I'd rather be around Christians than anybody else. Well, I, yeah, but I, overall generally, if, they're, if they're, I like being around Christians, there's, there's a, a fellowship that we have, being around each other. Because he says in verse 13, "I don't want you to be unaware that I often intended to come unto you, but f- so far I have been prevented." He doesn't go into how he's prevented. It just could be that I've not had an opportunity to get there. I've been busy other things. Was Paul busy? Oh, yeah, he was, right? He says, I've just not had the opportunity to get out there yet. It's not because I didn't want to come there. Because here's the thing. He doesn't want them to think two things. Number one, I don't want you to think I'm not coming because I don't want to be with you guys. But I don't want you to think I'm coming because I want to get something from you guys. See, that's the other deal on this thing. There's a lot of Christians out there that will come and speak at your church for a big honorarium. But are they doing it for ministry? No, they're not. If you charge for ministry, you're not doing ministry. You know that, right? It's a job. And yet there's a lot of people out there in Christianity that why are they, why are some of these guys on television doing their ministries? To minister to people? Probably not. Oh my gosh, yeah. Jesse Duplantis is one of these guys. You know, he's got a 36,000 square foot home, 30,000 of which is a garage for all of his luxury cars. Give to my ministry. God will bless you. Wait a minute. I don't see Paul having a 30,000 square foot house with luxury chariots in the back. What are you in for? Christ. You know, I'm enjoying, I'm, I'm starting to watch the, the shows in. I'm starting to watch that. It's really an interesting, you know. Um, but what's really what I like about it is think about Christ. He could have, walked, he could have, he could have turned anything into gold. He could have had all, everything. And how did he live? Very humbly. I just finished watching the one episode with the kids, you know. And the kids, you know, what do you do? He said, well, you know, I make these things and I sell them to make some money. And it's like he could just say money and boom, there it is, you know. But he didn't. Nowhere to lay his head. And of course the boys on TV say, well, that's not really what he meant. What he meant is they didn't go and make arrangements for the five-star hotel in town. That's crazy talk. Paul was not in it for the money. He says, I'm not coming there to get something from you other than to be encouraged by your faith.
2: Someone to both minister and be okay to
1: receive an honorary, you're not going, yeah, but you're not going to get it, you know. Um, there, there, yeah, there are people that, um, that it's it's why are you doing it, right? Okay, now it's one thing for somebody to say, you know, I can come speak, but you know, just cover my, my hotel and food. That's that's reasonable, right? I mean, Paul even talks about the the labor is worthy of his hire, right? Right. Now, Paul decided, remember what Paul decided to do. He said, I've decided not to take anything from anybody just so you would not have anything to complain about. I worked with my hands and provided for my own needs and the people that were with me. So Paul was not one of those. He said, I chose not to do that. But there's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong is one say, I won't come unless you give me a... X thousand dollar honorarium because now you're in it for the money.
0: No, I, I have noticed this. Uh, we've been to a number of churches, including here, of course. They're no longer, quote, passing the plate. They're no longer making it easy. You know, kind of like humiliating a person into giving an offering. Mm-hmm.
1: They're making it available. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, is, what did Christ say in, in, in um, the Sermon on the Mount? When you give your alms, don't let your left mm-hmm. hand know what your right hand is doing, for if you sound a trumpet before you, you've received payment in full. Right then. That's interesting. What, what it means there is God is saying, if you've done it to be seen, you've been paid in full, God owes you nothing else. You got, you got what you wanted, you got seen by men, I owe you nothing. <laughs> That's right. Why do you do what you do? And, and Paul is saying, I'm not coming to, to shake you boys down and get money out of this deal. I'm not there to, you know, raise money for my 16th luxury chariot, which I don't need. I came to minister to you guys. I want to encourage you, I want to build you up, I want to strengthen you. I want you to do that. I've often intended. In order that I might reach some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. The I of harvesters. What kind of harvest is he talking about? Souls. Fruit. He's not talking about money. He's not there to get an offering. In fact, the only church he really talked about getting an offering from was Who? Corinth. Well Macedonia gave him money right out of their poverty but he talked about Corinth where he's going to take an offering and what was that offering for? The Jerusalem church that was going through a famine. He was going to take all the money back to the Jerusalem church and give it to them to help them in their time of famine. It wasn't because he wanted to be wealthy. He said I want to have some harvest among you. I want to minister to you. And that's the motivation for spiritual service. You want to minister to other people. Got to worry about the rewards later on. But if you're in it for the money, you're in it for a personal acclaim or to get a big name or to promote your own image, you're in it for the wrong reasons. That's not the right reason. And slight detour here. But one of the great snares that I've seen happening in Christianity is in this area of um, in Christian ministry, you see some young men that are good preachers, good, good um, speakers. And they're too quickly put into a place of prominence. And what happens usually when that happens? Their ego takes the best of them, and they burn up and blow up. I remember listening to some of these guys six years ago, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, one of them—I'll mention his name, David Platt—who was like, man, this is gonna—he's gonna really be a, a good person. You know, he was—I heard him speak at T4G. Probably he had the sermon of the week, basically, which was one of the best sermons that week. Six years later, he's a wreck. What happened? Go, go look at his church. I mean, you read about his church, it's just like, oh, my, ho- ho- what happened? And what happened is it went to his head. You're a young guy. You're, you're in demand. You're being asked to all the conferences. What happens? It comes about you. And here now, here's what what is the what is one of the great correctives of that? What can prevent you from having that happen to you? What do you think is a great corrective to not Ramboing it on your own and going out into the jungle and what's a great corrective? Exactly. Are you accountable to somebody? Are you accountable to a congregation? Are you accountable to other Christians? Or you got to the point where you're just better off and off, and you know better than any of them and you don't need to listen to anybody tell you that you've got your pants on backwards. And sometimes that's what happens. People get into this spot where they think they're unaccountable or they're, you know, they, they got a mission. And they roll over anybody that gets in the way as though, you know, God's program depends on them. There's a very interesting podcast series from Christianity Today called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Fascinating. Talks about some of this stuff.
0: Share the scripture verse, which we'll get to in a couple of years. Yeah. In chapter 12 of Romans, verse 3. by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God's given
1: you. Yep. Don't think that you are the expert. And some of these guys get to the point where they say, Well, I'm the expert, I'm the gifted one. God, God's program gets derailed if I, if I don't do this. No, it doesn't. God's program does not get derailed. And you fall into what what I think Timothy calls the snare and condemnation of the devil. What's the snare and condemnation of the devil? What What was Satan's sin? Pride. Pride. And in order to be a corrective against that, you need to be accountable to other people. You need to be in a community of other people. And realize that even if you are the gifted one oratorically or being able to teach or whatever, you need a dose of humility. Because if not, you can easily get yourself ensnared and become unusable to the Lord. You don't want to go that way. I remember many years ago, um, I remember John MacArthur recounting the story, this is way back 30 years ago or whatever, that the elder board of his church, he's one of the elders in his church, and the elder board came and said, you know, we're really concerned that you know you're, you seem to be spending too much time speaking outside our church and you're not paying enough time to our church. You know, we, we we're concerned about that. He canceled all of his speaking engagements for a year and concentrated on his church. That was his ministry. He said, and I remember him saying, he said, I'm called to be a pastor to this church. All this other stuff is, is icing on the cake. That you know if I have a radio ministry or TV ministry or I speak or I write books, that's that's fine. My that's not my ministry. My ministry is these people and to be their pastor, be accountable to them and and teach them. And that was Paul's that was Paul's mentality. He did not see himself as super apostle. If I don't do this, God's kingdom comes to screeching halt. He had a big dose of humility in him.
2: I think one of the <coughs> greatest
1: antidotes for pride is pain. Mm-hmm. Pain is our friend. Yeah. Pain is your friend in your
2: body, were it not for that's what, what lepers don't have.
1: It's right. A
2: pain thing. Thus they have tips of fingers and tips of digits.
1: things are wore off. Uh pain is
2: our friend spiritually. When we run against, uh, kick roadblocks and brick walls and antagonism and come through it in the way that the Lord is trying to get us through it, we are more humble, less prideful, Mm -hmm. uh, able to get down a peg or two from where we
1: were. God hates pride. He sets his face against those who are proud. He exalts the humble, he abases the proud. You want to get God on your bad side, just be proud. And we need people around us to remind us that, wait a minute, you put your pants on backwards today. Oh, okay, let me fix that, before a fall. These, things, these six things the Lord hates, seven are abomination, a proud look. Number one, what is it? Proud, proud look. The Greek word, interestingly, for pride is tufuo. which means to puff up like a balloon. You ever seen somebody with just a puffed up ego? What happens when you poke it? Pops. They're puffed up. They're full of smoke. They think of themselves more highly. Paul is saying, I want to come minister to you because you minister to me. I'm accountable to you. I'm accountable to God, yes, but I'm accountable to other Christians as well. There's a mutual accountability that we all have. And we all need, by the way, you know that. See, we live in this mentality in Christianity today that I can be dropped off in the middle of the jungle like Rambo with, a, with my knife and I can I can take down the enemy. Uh, no, it doesn't work that way. God created us to be in community with other people, to to need other people, to be encouraged by them. And we all encourage each other differently. But we all need that. And those of us who teach and and preach and that We need people to say, wait a minute. What do you mean by that? I disagree with that. That's why I love Sammy so much. She disagrees with me on stuff, and we get to knock heads, and I love it. Why? Because I need that. You realize that? You need somebody to ask those questions and make you stop and think and, wait a minute. Do I got this thing right? Maybe I don't. And Paul is saying... We are mutually encouraged together. I want to have some fruit among you. For I'm under the obligation. This is it. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, to the wise and the foolish. What's he mean, I'm under obligation? What's that? God put him in the ministry. And what is his obligation in the ministry? What is he obligated to do? Preach. But listen, what did he say? To who? Who does he preach to? Jews and Gentiles. Greeks and barbarians. The wise and the unwise. That's everybody, right? He's not saying, well, I'm just called to preach to the high and mighty. I'm called to preach to the wise people. You know, somebody else can take care of the unwise. He's called to preach to everybody. And he's under obligation in the sense that that's what God has called him to do. And there is an element, there is an element of obligation in our spiritual gift, isn't there? Why did God leave you here? To be salt and light. Every one of us are here for a reason and a purpose. And we're sort of under obligation. Paul said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Jeremiah said, I tried to stop preaching and the the word burned in me like fire in my bones. There's an obligation component. Why do I teach on Sunday morning? Because there's a, there's a component of obligation. I need to be doing this. This is what God's gifted me to do, and I can't sit around and, you know, some people say, well, I just as soon sit home on Sunday morning and, you know, sip my Nespresso coffee and my jammies and listen to Jim on the computer. Yeah, but that's not where life is lived out. It
0: begins with love for
1: them. Love for them, love for being with other people. I missed this. I missed being in a class. I missed. I really did. We need other people, and Paul is saying, "I'm under obligation to preach not only to the wise, and the, but the unwise, to the barbarians, to the Greeks, to the Jews." I'm here to. God's called me to do this. Woe is me if I don't do it.
0: Back then, were the Greeks considered wise
1: or? They were considered wise because. They were the um, intellectuals. They were the uh, Mars Hill people, you know. They, the philosophers, you know. That that was the wise, the educated, you know. And the barbarians are the bar 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 bar. They're the, you know, the the West Virginian hillbilly people in the backwoods. By the way, I love West Virginia. It's an awesome state. They got some of the best state parks in all the country, I think. But um, but they're the bad, you know. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching it to everybody.
2: The wrong side of the tracks, the Galileans.
1: The Galileans, good night. Or the Nazarenes, that's even yeah. worse. Yeah. You know? So, it's, what's he saying in verse 15? So, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you too. I want to preach the good news. Now, when we see gospel, again, we've got, we got, we got to break ourselves out of this thinking. When you see gospel in the New Testament, it's not the four spiritual laws, necessarily. What is gospel? What is the word gospel in Greek? Evangelion. And what is evangelion? Evangelion is good news. And that's a big concept, Right? What is good news? Good news is God sent his son to die for us. Good news is salvation. Good news is the core of the gospel as we know it, but it's good news. What did John preach? John the Baptist. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. What was the gospel of the kingdom? The four spiritual laws? They didn't know about the four spiritual laws. But what was the good news that he was preaching? For the... Kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's good news. Paul's saying, I want to preach good news to you people. That's sort of interesting. What, what is it that, that, that we need to be communicating? Good news.
2: But I say again, and this is literally my third Sunday in a row, where the good news, the good <coughs>
1: He was buried, he rose again. It's the whole context of it. All of, that all of it. Because it all goes in there. It, you know, we think gospel, well, Jesus died for my sins. No, that that's that's like part one. Part two is he was buried. Part three, he rose again. Part four, he's coming again. It's 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 the whole thing. It's good news.
0: I can remember the first time I heard about that Jesus was coming again, and I'm going, what? I was probably around twelve, maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was we were in a church that was uh, well it wasn't a big lobby
1: dot church, but it was preaching the gospel mm-hmm. and I just was
0: flabbergasted. Yeah. And over time <laughs> I got to the point where I realized I'm in need.
1: Yeah. The, when God's going to show up, you better be ready. Well, he'll make you ready. Yeah, you better be ready, you know. But the it, it's good news. And here's, here's another aspect to this, you know. By and large, should our message to the world be positive or negative? Oh, shit. Sorry, sorry. No, yeah, I- well, it's both, but generally... Positive. How did Christ preach? He started parables, but how did he interact with people? Positive. He could have gone up to anybody at any point and said, you're damned and on your way to hell! And he could have just roasted everybody, right? And he would have been right. Because he knows what's in the heart of man, right? How did he respond to people? How did he interact with the woman at the well, people say they, they were amazed at the gracious words which proceeded from his mouth. Now, look, I, look. there are times when we have to be negative, right? And when he had to be negative, he was negative. But generally, what amazed me, one of the things that amazes me in the Gospels is it said that children flocked around him. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now. Children do not flock around grouches. Or cranky old buzzards, right? They know who the good people are. They know they know the people that are kind, and that's the people they flock around. And they flocked around Christ. He was your atypical rabbi. He didn't shoo the kids away. In fact, when the disciples tried to shoo them away, what did he say? Stop. Let them come. No. but a lot of times you see on on the internet some of these um, supposed Christian negative 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 hateful negative it's like stop I, I understand I, I get that but if that's all you harp on yeah. Christ Christs talked about the kingdom of heaven. He he could have been the most negative person on the planet and been right about it all, but he wasn't. I was
3: talking to a gentleman a couple, um, probably a week or two ago and uh, found out that he had been raised um, as a you know, Catholic with an altar boy. And again, this is nothing against any religion whatsoever. and that His family actually, he went to um, a school to be a priest and Never did it, and um, he felt that you know what what was wrong in Mother Earth that he didn't feel like he wanted to do that, and so that he said he had been searching all kinds of different religions, okay, and that there's a couple of them that he had found some 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 sort of peace in, and I, I, then I told him why. I said why I felt Christianity was unique. And I said, because Christianity is a gift. You you accept it. There's nothing you have to do. Not the tiniest little bit. Mm-hmm. You could earn no. anything. So it's not like I have to meet these certain levels or qualifications. It basically is, like I said, the good news that all you have to do is accept it.
1: Yeah.
0: Just but, as I am without one, plea. Right. But that that blood was shed
1: for thee. And understand though, God takes you as you are, but he doesn't leave you there, right? That's right. right. He moves you forward. So, the there is the
0: conversation. We
1: weren't Yeah. angry or no. you know,
3: upset with each other, or anything Like that
1: whatsoever. And by the way, that's not saying that you here, here's the thing. You could go too far the other way and make Christianity just positive 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 where you never talk about sin. Mm-hmm. You can't go there, right? No. Because but you don't stop there. We're all in sin. We're all in and Paul's going to do that. I mean Romans chapter 118 through 320. We're going to talk about he's going to condemn the entire planet. He said you're all sunk. You're all in deep trouble. There's none righteous, no not even one of you guys. But there's good news. So Christ preached the bad news. But then he said, but there's good news. All right? And, and what, I, what, what, what bothers me is when, when you have some Christian ministries and organizations, they just want to harp on the bad, 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 negative, negative, bad, negative. The message of Christ is a positive one. You can be redeemed. You can be born again. You know, when you go to West, Westboro Baptist Church, the God Hates Fags website that they have and all. Now, that's really helpful, isn't it? uh, Is is, is homosexuality wrong? Of course it is. But so is lying, murder, stealing, gossip. But that's not what you need to focus on. What do you need to focus on? The message of redemption. Yes, this is sin, but God can redeem you.
0: I was uh, doing a lot of driving in my business. And there was one place, uh, Bellevue or someplace, there was a... Big sign side, side of a house which said, Christ is the answer. So I'm thinking, well, what's the question? Well it's not a question, it's a condition. He's the answer to the condition we find ourselves in. Right. And by confessing our sins, he's faithful, justify us of our sins and cleanse
1: us from all, all right. sins. Well, look look at Christ's ministry. Christ was in an environment where he could have had a lot of opportunity to try and fix all the social ills of the day. Oh yeah, he was that. He had. He could have done that, but what did he do? What did he preach? You can be right with God. You can have your sins forgiven. He could have snapped his fingers and fixed all the social ills of the day and people would have still gone to hell, right? Well, All I'm saying here is when I look at this, he's eager to preach the gospel. The gospel is the good news. There is a piece of it that says, here's the bad news, you're a sinner. You've got to get that across somehow. You can't tell people they just made a couple of goofs and they're okay and basically good. No, it doesn't cut it. You are a sinner, but here's the good news: you can be redeemed. You can be redeemed, and I think that's what we want to focus on. What is the good news of the gospel? Don't be Mister and Mrs. Negativity all of the time, because I see that a lot of times. It's easy for us Christians to just come become negative, right? Cynical. Cynical and negative, and just you know, I don't like this. I don't like that. I. You know, and it's like don't don't become that be do you catch more flies with honey or vinegar, and yet most Christians act more like vinegar, and they can sit there and say, "Well, I'm just standing up for you know the righteousness of God no and let's close with this the, the parable of the tares, remember the wheat and the tares what did What did the master tell the servants not to do? Don't pull up the tares because, number one, you may not know what a tear is necessarily, and you might pull up the good with it. And we understand in the agrarian sense, tares don't turn into wheat, but sometimes somebody who looks like a tear now may later come out to be, by the power of the gospel, a piece of wheat. You're not God's execute, executors of judgment. That's not what God has called us to do. He's called us to proclaim the good news, to call people that, yes, the world is a mess. Yes, you are a sinner. Yes, you're under condemnation. But God's provided a way out. He's provided redemption. That's good news. And Paul says, I want to come and I want to preach the good news to you. Because that's, that's, that's my message, is the good news. And that's what we're going to look at next week. The Reformation was sparked by Romans 16 17, 116 and 17. That's what sparked the Reformation. When Martin Luther finally got in and I just said, wait a minute. I don't earn this thing. It's a gift. It's by faith. It's not by winning the thing I do. So any comments or questions? any comments or questions the gospel is the good news how good are you proclaiming the good news all of it that's what we want to do father thank you again for this day and for challenging us from your word and we thank you for this text of scripture and I pray that we would be people who proclaim the good news it is good news Yeah, it has some bad news components. We're sinners. We're under God's judgment. If we don't repent, we will perish. But you didn't just leave us there, Father. You gave us a way out. You gave us a way back. And we need to preach that as well. That we can be made right with you by the blood of Christ who gave his life to redeem us. And by placing our faith and trust in what he's done for us. I pray that we would be positive people proclaiming the good news. And again, thank you for this time and the challenge from your word. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for
0: listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.